Let's turn now to God's holy and inspired word as we read a portion of the second, third chapter of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, and our passage is verses 14 through 22, which will in its entirety also be the text for our sermon here this afternoon. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one who is revealing these truths that are recorded in the book of Revelation to his servant John, exiled on the island of Patmos, receiving the visions of God there, but also these messages from God and from Christ himself, so that we hear, hear the voice of Jesus directly speaking to John. <clears throat> Revelation 3 at verse 14, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." May God add his blessing as we reflect upon the message and the meaning of this letter of our Savior that we want to consider here together tonight or this afternoon, that it may truly lead us to see what the challenge is in this passage for God's people in this post-communion service that we are holding here this afternoon. And dear people of God, when the Apostle John was exiled to the small island of Patmos for his faith and for his testimony to Jesus, Christ instructed him to write down what he saw and heard in visions that Christ gave him to see and to hear there that are now, of course, recorded then in what is the book of Revelation. And thereupon, John was called to send these visions, the record of what he saw and heard to seven churches. And those are all mentioned in chapter 1. They were all churches located in Asia Minor, which today is the country of Turkey. Those churches were the original recipients of what is now called then the book of Revelation. But this afternoon, we like to listen to what our Lord Jesus Christ has to say to us in a letter that was specifically then addressed to one of those seven churches. Because the book of Revelation 
begins in chapters 2 and 3 with specific letters that our Lord Jesus addressed to particular churches in Asia Minor, each of them according to their own specific situation, their own place of residence, according to their particular needs, their particular challenges, their strengths, and also their weaknesses. And yet what our Savior wrote to them in every case also holds, certainly, and has application for all the churches of Christ, wherever and whenever they are located in the world. That's why they're, of course, part here of the Word of God. And so this afternoon, we like to consider what Christ has to say to us, to us also, by way of this last of the seven letters that he wrote, recorded here in Revelation chapter 3, the letter addressed to the church of Laodicea. Now still, and, and still by way of introduction, let me first note a few things about the city of Laodicea and the church that was found there as a background then for considering this letter. Laodicea was located at the junction of three main highways which branched off to different parts of the Roman Empire. And as a result of that location, at that critical junction, the city had acquired considerable wealth. It was a banking center, it was a financial center. Trade and commerce flourished there. It was a prosperous city. Laodicea was particularly famous for its clothing industry. One of the most prized cloth goods it produced were garments made out of soft black wool, which came from the black sheep that were raised in the fields outside the city. And yes, though black sheep are much less common than white sheep or tan-colored sheep, I suppose, you know, that's why we have made black sheep kind of a pejorative expression for someone in a family or whatever who has fallen into bad ways or a bad lifestyle. But, but the wool of literal black sheep was highly valued and is still highly valued to this day. And then further, Laodicea also boasted a highly reputed medical school and center. It was sort of a Mayo Clinic in its day, drawing people from all over the region. And what this medical center in Laodicea was especially noted for was its treatment for eye ailments. Physicians there had developed a special eye salve or ointment to treat those who had eye problems. And now I cite these few facts because, as you will see pretty soon, they shed some very interesting light on what Christ wrote here to the church in Laodicea. And then as regards the Christian church then of Laodicea, we might note that this letter is not the only place where that church is mentioned in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul also refers to this church in his letter to the Colossians. Whether Paul founded this church in Laodicea, we don't know. It could well have been started by some Christians, maybe from Colossa, converts that had moved to Laodicea. But Paul did certainly know about this church, and he had a special concern for them, as he did for the Colossians. So that Paul instructed the Colossians that after they had read his letter, Paul's letter to them, they should pass the letter on to be read also to the church of Laodicea. So it could be read there too to that congregation. 
However, the letter that Jesus Christ wrote to the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3 showed an even greater concern. In fact, you know, this, this letter from our Lord is probably the severest letter of the seven that are recorded in Revelation. Because unlike the other six letters that Jesus wrote, this letter, as you may have noticed perhaps, contains no words of praise, no words of commendation, but only words of rebuke and warning. Our Lord found something commendable in all the other churches, even in those which had some very serious shortcomings that he had to point out to them and warn them about. But Christ had no good thing to say whatsoever about the church in Laodicea. Why was that? Well, let's consider why. By turning now to our first main point this afternoon, which is the spiritual condition of this church. And after we go into that, then I will look secondly with you at Christ's prescription for their spiritual condition. And then thirdly, we will note Christ's urgent plea and promises to this church of Christ. But first, what was the spiritual condition of this church? Well, it was inflicted with a deadly disease that was sapping away its strength and life. And what disease was that? One word says it, lukewarmness, lukewarmness. This is what Christ writes to them in verses 15 and 16 of our text. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now those are, those are pretty strong, indeed I would say very strong words from the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then this was a very serious spiritual disease. They were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I'm sure all of you here have at some time tasted something that was lukewarm. Like uh, maybe you've sometimes had a lukewarm cup of coffee or tea or a lukewarm pop or some lukewarm water or some lukewarm soup. And how did you like it? Do I need to ask you, who likes a lukewarm cup of coffee? And who, on a hot summer day particularly, likes a lukewarm can of pop, or a lukewarm glass of lemonade, or a bottle of lukewarm water? The minute you tasted it, you may even have spit it out of your mouth. And while it's the same idea, which Christ applied to the spiritual condition of the church in Laodicea. His diagnosis of them was that they were lukewarm. That means they were Christians with a a lukewarm faith, a lukewarm commitment to their Lord. There was, in other words, no, no spiritual zeal in their soul, no vitality, no enthusiasm, no passion, in their spiritual walk, or in their Christian service. They were content to do what had to be done and no more. Yes, they still professed to be Christians, but it was kind of a half-hearted profession. 
They came to church, but only out of custom or habit. They heard God's word, but it didn't touch them. They sang songs, but with their lips barely moving, or perhaps their hearts somewhere else. They prayed, but their prayers were rote prayers, and their minds were elsewhere. The Laodiceans may have lived decent lives. They probably did not engage in the grosser sins of their city, but their obedience and love for God was mostly external. They were just, uh, well, lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. And hence Jesus writes to them, Would that you were either cold or hot, one or the other, but you're neither. And while that may sound a little puzzling to you at first, uh, we, we can understand that our Lord will prefer a church to be hot, that is, to be on fire for Him, as we just sang, having the fire of the Holy Spirit, the flame with love for Him, to burn with holy passion for Christ, to demonstrate a fervent faith and commitment to Him. But why would Christ say that He would even prefer them to be cold rather than lukewarm? Well, obviously not because Christ delights in a cold faith or a cold love or a cold commitment to him. That is one that is totally really absent. What he means to say is that he would rather have a church which is either wholeheartedly for him or clearly against him than one which is simply indifferent or cool or lukewarm towards him. For what can you say to a person or a church which is indifferent or lukewarm towards Christ? If you read the Gospels, you will find that Jesus reserved his harshest words for those who had a form of godliness, like the Pharisees, who displayed an external piety but possessed no true, living, heartfelt faith. And he also spoke pretty strongly to those who were indecisive in their commitment to him, who weren't ready to follow him wholeheartedly all the way. To them he said, he who is not for me is against me. Christ wants a definite yes or no. Christ cannot take maybe. He wants all of our heart, not half our heart, Would that you were either cold or hot. He writes to the Laodiceans. So because, says Jesus, you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now why is spiritual lukewarmness so bad, so dangerous, that Christ wants no part of it? And well, he himself suggests two reasons in his letter to the church of Laodicea. And one is indicated in verse 17, where Jesus writes, For you say, I am rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Lukewarmness, you see, removes a sense of need, of need for God. It makes people reliant upon themselves and whatever they have or are or possess. The lukewarm person has the, has the attitude of, I'm satisfied with what I am, 
I'm satisfied with what I have. What more do I need? And the Laodicean members apparently had that attitude. They were materially well off. And they boasted about it. They said, I'm rich. I've prospered. And I need nothing. The prosperity of this city had rubbed off into their lives as well. They were like that rich farmer Jesus once talked about in a parable who had built bigger and bigger and better barns and stored all his grain and all of his uh, produce and animals. And then he said to himself, Now my soul, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul shall be required of you. And so the Laodicean Christians had become complacent, saying, we have become rich and we don't need a thing. We can just enjoy life. And people of God, that's devastating, devastating to true faith. When we no longer think that we need anything from God. We don't need a greater faith. We don't need a greater devotion. We don't need to draw near to him more than we do. We don't need his grace. The moment we lose a sense of need and become lukewarm, then indeed we're ripe for falling entirely away from God. The latest scenes that fall into spiritual lethargy. But in addition, a second reason for their lukewarmness was so, that it was so dangerous because it had blinded them. It had blinded them to their true condition, their true spiritual condition. Listen how Jesus viewed them according to verse 17. He says, not realizing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Their lukewarmness had deceived them. And that's what lukewarmness always tends to do. It closes our eyes to what we are really like in God's sight. Wretched, poor, blind, naked sinners who can be saved only by His divine grace. The lukewarm church member thinks that his external show of piety will make God pleased with him. He says, I'm all right. I'm an okay Christian. God says, hey, you don't realize that you're pitiable. You're miserable. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. You're wretched. I would rather have you to be hot or cold than lukewarm. And so the message of Christ for us today is first of all a warning. Don't be lukewarm. Don't think that you have arrived spiritually. Don't be complacent in your Christian walk of life. Don't give Christ only a half-hearted commitment because Christ cannot stand lukewarmness. He can't stand it. It's repugnant to him. He says to this lukewarm church and to the lukewarm Christian, I will spit you out of my mouth. However, Our Lord does not stop here with a warning. He doesn't just offer here a pretty serious diagnosis of a critical problem that he found here in the church of Laodicea. If you go to a doctor 
who only offers you a diagnosis of your physical problem, but he offers you no advice whatsoever as to how to deal with it, prescribes nothing that may help you with your condition, that doesn't do any good. Although we understand, to be sure, that doctors don't have all the answers to all of our ailments, and we and they also know there are many limitations. But we, we have a great physician in heaven who does have an answer and cure for all of our diseases, including our spiritual lukewarmness, our spiritual ailments. And so notice, secondly, this afternoon that Christ proceeds now to provide his prescription to this Laodicean church for its lukewarmness. What must be done about this spiritual affliction? Listen to what our Lord writes in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Now, now, isn't that an interesting prescription in light of what I told you earlier about what Laodicea was noted for? There's a divine irony here in these words. Because remember what I said in the introduction, the city of Laodicea was first of all a banking and financial center. Its inhabitants were rich, they were prosperous, and the church there apparently also had shared in that prosperity and wealth. That's why Jesus had written to them, for you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. But now Jesus tells them, if you want to be truly rich, because, because really you are not, you are spiritually poor, but if you want to really be rich, buy from me gold refined by fire. What does Christ mean here by, by refined gold that he can give us? And I'm convinced that he is writing here or referring to all the spiritual blessings, all the gifts of his grace, including salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, the promise and assurance of life everlasting, of having peace with God, of receiving the power of his spirit to guide us and uphold us and comfort us throughout our life, all of these are that true gold. Not impure gold, but refined gold. Because it's indeed through the refining fire of suffering and affliction and distress and deprivation that God's blessings become the richest treasure that they are to the Christian. And he says, you think you may be rich materially, but you can buy the real gold from me. By, by which he doesn't mean, to be clear now, that you and I can earn or purchase salvation and eternal life and peace with God and joy in our hearts. Actually, our Savior himself has already earned this gold, these spiritual treasures, by himself, by his life, and by his death on the cross, as we remembered in a special way this morning in the Lord's Supper. Jesus simply means here, you have to come to me. Come to me to acquire this gold. I alone can offer you those true riches. Come to my storehouse. As God had said once uh, in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1, come all you 
who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. All these blessings of Christ, that's the pure gold that he gives us, not with money, not with anything that we have to purchase these gifts, but only as his gifts to us. And then further, how interestingly Christ tells the Laodiceans to come to him not only to buy the gold, but also to buy white clothes to cover themselves and hide their nakedness. Remember, this was a city known for its clothing industry, especially for its soft black wool. But Jesus writes, if you really want to cover your nakedness, because in God's sight, you are really naked, you can hide nothing from him, and your shameful sins are totally exposed to God's view. You can wear the nicest wool garments, but they won't cover your true self as God sees you. But if you really want to be covered and your sinful shame to be hidden, buy from me white clothes to wear, writes our Lord. And you know what those white clothes are? I'm convinced they are referring here to the pure, spotless, perfect righteousness of Christ himself. Those are the only white garments that can cover us in the sight of God. If we are justified, if we have the righteousness of Christ covering us, then we can stand before God without shame. We can stand before him without any fear. For we are perfect in his sight if we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That's the clothing that we need to wear, says Jesus. And then he adds in his prescription for the church's lukewarmness, he says, and buy from me salve to anoint your eyes so you can see. Laodicea was proud of its precious eye salve, which could heal or at least help preserve physical eyesight. Yet they were spiritually blind. But Christ can offer us an eye salve which can truly make us see. And what is that salve? And again, there may be sometimes different interpretations given by commentators here, but I believe that it is a reference here to faith, a true and living faith in him, because it's faith that opens our eyes to see to see the truth of the gospel, to see what we need to do to be saved. We come to know our spiritual condition only if there is true faith in our hearts. Then we come to see that we are under God's judgment, that we are worthy of everlasting death. But also by faith we come to see that one has come who has paid for our sins by his precious blood and has delivered us from God's judgment and has given to us everlasting life, even our blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we have that eye salve of faith, then we can come to know Christ not only, but we can even grow in him and lean on him in all of our life experiences. And so here, people of God, you have God's prescri- Christ's prescription for that dangerous and fatal condition of spiritual lukewarmness. And you know, if this is a condition, an affliction that you are battling, or I should say me that we are battling, for no one of us is immune to being lukewarm at times. 
this is something that's very easy to fall into because we are Christians who are living in a country where we have everything, uh, physically, materially speaking, that we might really want. We are richly blessed. And, and it's, it's very easy to fall into living for, serving, focusing only upon those things that are only temporal, temporal blessings, if you wish. And then we fall into spiritual lethargy and lukewarmness. You know, this is a disease that's more contagious than the coronavirus. And we have to turn to the great physician here to provide us with the spiritual healing that we need, that we may be hot on fire for him, not lukewarm. And so notice thirdly and lastly this afternoon how Christ urgently pleads this church to take that prescription so they may receive his great promises. Yes, how gracious and kind our Savior really is here to his church in which he found nothing praiseworthy, nothing to commend. But Christ still did not turn his back on them. He didn't say, well, I'm done with you. No, he writes in verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous, be zealous and repent. Let's always remember that when Christ has to reprove us, it's because he loves us. Just as uh, when parents, you parents have to discipline your children, it's not because you hate them. It's because you love them. You want the best for them. And so Christ issues this urgent plea to this church. He says, so be zealous and repent. Lukewarmness has to be replaced by zeal. Zeal in loving Christ, living for him, knowing him, trusting him, serving him. And we have to repent of our sinful indifference and our spiritual weaknesses and are loving the things of this world and the life more than the things of Christ. That's the reproof and the discipline that our Lord says we need. And then he immediately adds this in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, what a gracious invitation. He says, I'm standing at the door and knock. What door is that? The door of our hearts, the door of our lives. And he wants all those who hear him knock and speak to open that door of their hearts and their lives and to welcome him in so that he may eat with them and they with him. Here we have an incredible invitation because no sinner, no person would ever knock on the door of Christ to receive him. By nature, no sinner will ever turn to Christ, but he will knock on our door, on the sinner's door, and he will bring them the gospel, and he will come to them and invite them to receive him as their Savior King, so that they may enjoy his presence and his love and feast with him, their eternal Savior. And that is the urgent invitation and that's his blessed promise to us. He says, those who come to me, I will eat with them. I will fellowship with them and they with me. And yet there's even more because then Christ adds in verse 21, the one who conquers, 
I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Christ promises the Christian who conquers, meaning the one who overcomes sin and Satan, who stays wholeheartedly committed to him. He says, I'm going to give you the privilege to be a king. I'm going to make you a king. A king who will sit next to me on my throne. I ask you, how can that be? How can we possibly sit on his throne? He, the divine ruler of all creation, the son of God. But that's what he says here. He who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. You see, he is indeed calling us and offering us a special place and position with him in the new creation. How can we ever sit on the throne of Christ, the ruler of all creation? I'm sure that you or I will never sit, I'm sure we will never sit on an earthly throne like, uh, like the British throne of Queen Elizabeth II, though uh, she's just a moral human being, and the last time that I saw anything on television of her some time back, she's failing. I think her days of, of reign are coming to an end. But Jesus Christ, the eternal King of kings and Lord of lords, who is on the throne of the universe, he says, I will allow you a place on my throne next to me. How can that be? I can't fathom it. We will always be under him, obviously, even as we sit next to him. And yet he will grant us a position that we may also have some kind of rule and authority over the new creation that he will one day fashion as the world in which God's people will come to live forever with God. In that new heaven and earth, he gives his redeemed people the honor of having dominion or rulership over that creation as we live with him and for him. What an honor to reign with Christ. And that should be sufficient, shouldn't it, to take away all lukewarmness from our hearts and to live for him already today. May we be among those who are filled with faith and devotion to our great Savior be conquerors in the good fight of faith. May our hearts be alive. May they be aflame as we sang with the fire of the Holy Spirit, with love and commitment to our Lord. That's the message of Christ to us tonight. He was an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, we thank you for that message that you have given to your servant John, and then by your Spirit incorporated into your inspired word to be your letter to your people today and always in all the times and places to hear. Now, Lord, we need that message too for our lives. We know that oftentimes we too are afflicted with lukewarmness. We don't have that strong, that hot commitment to you in our lives. We 
need to grow in that. We need to overcome the spiritual lethargy that so easily afflicts us. But Lord, we pray that you will speak to us again by your word and spirit. Renew that faith and that commitment in our hearts to you. Strengthen that faith in you. May we know that in you we are justified by faith. May we know that through you we have the goal that is refined. And may we know, O Lord, that you have given us a true faith that we might see the riches of your grace toward us. So we pray that we may be encouraged as well tonight and continue, O Lord, to lead and guide us as we then enter into this new week to live ever more faithfully and fervently for our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Mm -hmm.